Man. <clears throat> Thank you. We are uh, going to be at the end of Acts chapter 1. And so if you have your Bibles with you, I'd like for you to uh, turn there, please. What an honor it is to open up God's Word to you, uh, with you on Resurrection Sunday, and I appreciate that prayer, Gregory, and it's my prayer for us that our hearts and our minds will be opened anew to all that Christ has done for us. Uh, We're going to be here again uh, today in verses 15 through 22. I mentioned last week that for a book named Acts, much of it is teaching and preaching. Approximately one-third of the book is just the speeches and the sermons um, here in Acts. And so our text today uh, is the first of many speeches and sermons in this book. We looked at it last week in the context of replacing leaders And this week, we're going to look at it again, but this time with the resurrection in mind. Now, in Acts chapter 2, Peter is going to preach a significant, well-known sermon at Pentecost, Um, and beginning next week, I plan to spend several weeks um, looking at that sermon. However, here in Acts chapter 1, this is truly more of a speech than it is a sermon, Uh, But I want to use Peter's words here on this Easter Sunday to direct our hearts and our minds to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's a pretty simple outline that I'm following today. Fulfillment, atonement, and announcement. That's the outline. First, I want to emphasize the fulfillment of the resurrection Second, I want to speak about the atonement and the resurrection. And then third, I want to conclude with the announcement of the resurrection. So today, when I first stood up in front of you during the welcome, I really did. I don't know why. Probably it was the 100 comments I'd already received on my suit when I walked in the door. Uh, I just kind of felt this need. I needed to address the fact that I had a suit on. Um, And I don't know, it kind of serves as an illustration, really, of our text today, because I think when Peter stood up among the 120 gathered believers here in the upper room during these 10 days in between the Ascension and Pentecost, he felt the need to address a situation. You could maybe call it the elephant in the room. He needed to talk about Judas. I think for these believers, there had to be a sense of, I know no one wants to talk about it, but we need to address it. Craig Keener is a professor out at Asbury Uh, who has written a four-volume, 4,000-page commentary on the book of Acts. Um, But he wrote this about the so-called elephant in the room. 
He wrote that one of Jesus' own intimate disciples betrayed him would have been an embarrassment to the rest of the followers. And it would have had serious social implications on the disciples, especially on the honor and reputation of the 12 apostles as a group. In this context, it's a real issue of cultural honor and shame that had to be addressed. And so Peter, here at the outset, before anything else is said, addresses the issue of Judas. So beginning here in verse 15 of Acts chapter 1, uh, actually in verse 16, we have the beginning of his speech. Let's read together. He begins, brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through the mouth of David concerning Judas, who served as guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in this ministry. You can hear the pain in Peter's words as he reminds them that Judas was one of our number that he shared in our ministry. He was a full-fledged, card-carrying member of the 12 apostles. He was one of us. He was hand-picked. He was chosen by Jesus Christ himself to be part of this close-knit circle. So this is really hard for this small group of believers. And there had to be all sorts of emotions tied to it. Something needed to be said. And so Peter stands up, and with the first words out of his mouth, he shares something really important to help this community of faith wrap their hearts and their minds around what happened with Judas. And here's what he said. He says, it had to happen. He says, brothers, friends, the Scripture had to be fulfilled. Now, I'm sure they had all kinds of questions about Judas. Why? How? When? You know, it'd be one of those situations where you start tracing back in your mind. You kind of go, oh, if I only could have said something or done something. Or, Or when did this occur? How did this happen? You're playing back in your mind as you kind of retrace your steps. But Peter says plainly, he kind of nips all of their questions in the bud, and he says simply, look, the Scripture had to be fulfilled. In other words, we don't understand the why or the how or the when of Judas. All we need to know is that it happened so that Scripture could be fulfilled. And this becomes a very important theme for Peter and later on for Paul whenever they're given an opportunity to preach. The emphasis of their preaching, and we'll see this over and over again in this book, 
is on how all of the events in the life of Jesus Christ, his birth, his life, his betrayal, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension, everything surrounding the life of Jesus Christ happened according to the Scriptures. It happened in order to fulfill the Scriptures. You see, it had to happen that way because the story of Israel must find its fulfillment. It must find its completion in the life of Jesus Christ. If you recall, several years ago, we spent an entire year looking at how everything in the Old Testament points to Jesus Christ. Every story whispers his name. You see, Jesus Christ didn't just come out of nowhere. Jesus was not some guy who just randomly happened onto the scene. Everything that happened in the life of Jesus happened according to the Scriptures. So today, as we celebrate Easter, I want to emphasize that His resurrection happened as the fulfillment of the Scriptures. It wasn't a plan B. The cross didn't catch God off guard. Now what are we going to do? The resurrection happened according to the Scriptures. Jesus was raised from the dead according to the Scriptures. And it's absolutely necessary to know that connection to the Scriptures in order to fully understand the resurrection. Listen to John's account. I want to read to you from John's account of the resurrection in John chapter 20. Listen to what John writes here, beginning in verse 1. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. And then here's this digression in parentheses by John. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. You see, they didn't understand the connection. But you see, to understand Scripture, to understand the resurrection, and this is what we're going to see, and, and the Holy Spirit's going to teach us so much, and we're going to grow in our understanding of the resurrection so much this year by spending time here in Acts because of its connection to the Scriptures. 
You have to recognize the resurrection as the fulfillment of the scriptures. There's so much scripture teaches us about the resurrection. This morning, I simply want to make the connection because it becomes a hallmark of gospel preaching in the New Testament. I just want to give you one example of this. Most scholars think uh, that 1 Corinthians 15 is among the oldest set of lines in the entire New Testament. They think it was the oral tradition about the gospel that every apostle received and then passed on. It's what everyone believed and what everyone preached. And here is what Paul writes in verse 3 about the gospel. He says, For what I have received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised according to the Scriptures. You see, according to the Scriptures, not a throwaway line. It's very important to connect the dots back to Scripture. It all happened according to the Scriptures. So first, I wanted to emphasize this morning the fulfillment of the resurrection. Everything in the life of Jesus Christ happened according to the Scriptures. Second, I want to speak about the atonement and the resurrection. We'll go back to Acts chapter 1 and pick back up in with Peter's speech here, verses 18 and 19. Um, in fact, uh, again, most Bibles will have these two verses in parentheses because they're not the words of Peter. They're, they're not part of his speech. Instead, they're the words of Luke who as a historian felt the need to digress here and fill in the blanks a little bit. He wanted the reader to know what had happened to Judas since the end of his gospel. And so let's pick up here in verse 18 together. With the reward he got for his wickedness, Judas bought a field. There he fell headlong. His body burst open and all his intestines spilled out. Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this, so they called the field in their language, Akeldama, that is, field of blood. The point of these two verses is that it did not end well for Judas. Luke uses some very descriptive language to emphasize just how poorly it ended for him. Scholars of ancient history like to point out that in the telling of history, the bursting of the bowels was the most appropriate way for a wicked person to die. Now, Luke doesn't give us many details surrounding Judah's de- uh, Judah's death. He, Judas's death. He basically just says that he died a, a horrible death. And therefore, since we're already digressing here for a minute, I want us to also look at Matthew's account of Judas' death. Um, And I would like to read uh, for us to read that together, Matthew chapter 27, verses 1 through 5. Here's Matthew's account of Judas' death. 
Early in the morning, all the chief priests and the elders of the people came to the decision to put Jesus to death. They bound him, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate, the governor. When Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse, and he returned the 30 silver coins to the chief priests and the elders. And he said, I have sinned, for I have betrayed innocent blood. The chief priests and the elders replied, what is that to us? That's your responsibility. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left. Then he went away and hanged himself. Now the text there in Matthew seems to imply that Judas went away and hung himself on that very day. We don't know that it happened immediately, But the text there, which is our only account, seems to imply it. Matthew tells us that Judas felt regret. He had remorse for what he had done. And like a good Jew, he went to the appropriate place to find atonement for his sin. He went to the temple. He went to the chief priests. And he says, I have sinned. But listen again to their response to him. What is that to us? That is your responsibility. Judas went to the right place and was told that atonement for his sin was his responsibility. So, he took matters into his own hands and killed himself. A life for a life. Most everyone knows that Martin Luther was one of the key figures of the Protestant Reformation. He was very well known for his emphasis on salvation by grace through faith and not by deeds. But do you know his backstory? Well, one night when he was in his early 20s, Luther was traveling by coach through a storm And he experienced a near-miss lightning strike. And so this caused him to cry out to his patron saint, Anne, promising to become a monk if his life was spared. And his life was saved. And so Luther kept his word, and he joined a religious order taking responsibility upon himself to become holy. Now, if religious works could have cleared his conscience, then Luther would have done it in no time. As part of this order, 
The monk spent the majority of his time fasting, sometimes for weeks at a time. He would sleep maybe once a week, only every four or five days. He practiced self-flagellation as a discipline. He would whip himself unconscious, and on several occasions he was found lying in pools of blood by his fellow monks. He frequently went to confession, spending so much time listing out every stray thought and motive that his confessors dreaded the sight of his coming. Yet all of these repeated acts of contrition did nothing to ease his conscience. He finally found peace only when he realized that God was not looking for him to do something. And instead, God wanted him to rest in what Christ has already done. You see, Judas went to the right place to find atonement and instead was told that he was responsible for his sin. Yet because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we know that Jesus took responsibility for our sin. And that the only place to find atonement for our sins is in him. And you see, most likely, Judas died never knowing that Jesus raised from the dead. And to me, it's the real tragedy of Judas' death. Only if he had known that Jesus was going to rise from the dead Perhaps his life could have looked different. After all, look at Peter, the one making this speech in Acts chapter 1. He denied Jesus three times on the night of his crucifixion. Yet because he knew that Jesus rose from the dead, here he is standing in front of these disciples, bringing words of encouragement and instruction. Paul would write in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if Christ has not risen from the dead, then we are still in our sins. To be clear, our sins were forgiven by the sufferings of Jesus on the cross, but we would not know that if he had not risen from the grave. One author states, the resurrection is the affirmation of the atonement. I like that. It's the affirmation of the atonement. You see, the resurrection is the divine guarantee that our sins with all of their guilt and all of their regret and all of their remorse, have been dealt with. 
The resurrection is proof that your sins are no more, and you can take that to the bank. So what the empty tomb proclaims to all who have ears to hear is that there's always hope for the sinner. I don't care what dark road you've chosen to travel down, there's always light at the end of the tunnel. Because Jesus Christ said, I will take responsibility for your sin. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is proof that even the worst wrong in human history can be made right. Listen, loved one, you are never too far outside of God's reach. I don't care what you've done, what you've said, or who you've been. And I read this text this morning, and I think, what if Judas had only known that he was going to rise from the dead? But then I'm struck by the realization of the number of people today who do know that he rose from the dead and yet refuse to come to him. And this brings me to my third point. I want to conclude with the announcement of the resurrection. Picking back up in verse 20 of Acts chapter 1. For, said Peter, it's written in the book of Psalms, may his place be deserted, let there be no one to dwell in it, and may another take his place of leadership. Therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who've been with us the whole time, the Lord went in and out among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us, for one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So here, Peter offers two criteria for the replacement of Judas. First, they must have walked with Christ dating back to his baptism. So for the entire three years of his ministry, they were looking for someone who had spent the most time with Jesus. And then second, they must have actually seen the risen Lord because eyewitness testimony is the best testimony. Peter would go on to write in his second letter, 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 16, we did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Look, I grew up the son of a preacher, and I've, I've been preaching the gospel myself now for more than 20 years. And I want to say this as clearly and as plainly as I can, because this is a game changer for me. What we have on the pages of this book are not cleverly invented stories, but it is eyewitness testimony of his majesty. These men and women saw our risen Lord. 
at the beginning of Luke Acts, in Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, Luke makes it clear. He states it for us there in his purpose statement that he only uses eyewitness testimony for the writing of this history. Because his purpose in writing it was so the reader could have certainty. He writes, I have sat down to write an account of the events that were fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to me by those who were eyewitnesses from the beginning, so that you may have certainty. As one author puts it, it's no use to talk about an Easter faith if there's no Easter fact. To preach the gospel at its most basic meaning means to announce the good news. It's a declaration. It's a proclamation. The gospel is not a plan of salvation. The gospel is not laying out a system of how people get saved. The gospel is an announcement that results in people getting saved. The resurrection is an announcement handed down to us by those who are eyewitnesses from the very beginning. Jesus Christ has risen. He has risen indeed Those are hashtag facts. The same one who died on the cross for your sins on Good Friday to become your Savior has also risen from the dead on Easter Sunday to become your Lord. According to the Scriptures, Jesus the Messiah died on the cross to put an end to sin and death and then rose on the third day as Lord over a new creation. Fulfillment, atonement, announcement. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this word. We're so thankful for this special day this special day that we celebrate the resurrection, that our, that our hearts and our minds focus in on your word. Lord, just teach us. Help us to understand. Help us to grow. Um, create in us a heart, a, a resurrected heart. Lord, um, just thankful, Lord, to, to celebrate what you have done uh, and what you have done in us. Uh, and what you want to do in so many. And so we just thank you for this message, and we pray uh, all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. I would like to offer an invitation this morning uh, on Easter Sunday. Uh, what, a, what a great day it would be uh, to put your faith in Jesus Christ on Easter Sunday. To come and be baptized into Christ, repent of your sins, to confess him publicly in front of the church family here that he is Savior and Lord, he's King. What a, what a, what a wonderful day it'd be to be able to experience that together if you're here and 
and you've never done that. You know, it's not really my job to try to convince you to do it. It's not your parents' job. It's not your friend's job. It's not any of the other minister's job or shepherd's job to try to convince you to do it. All God has called us to do is to announce the facts. The gospel is an announcement of the good news that has occurred. It has happened. It's like if it was going to rain today and I stood up here and said, it's going to rain today. Those are the facts. Well, you'd have to respond to those facts. Maybe you'd get your rain jacket out. Maybe you'd go get an umbrella. Those are the facts. All I can do is announce to you what happened, what is true. We have eyewitness testimony. These are not cleverly invented stories. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And he lives today to be our Lord and King. So this morning, there's no better day to give your life to him than there is today. Please come as we stand and sing.